But I won't, I won't make you turn to Genesis 1 right now. But I will say this. We are headed for 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Now, don't look at it. Okay. Don't look at that. No cheating, no peeping. That's where we're headed. But I got so stirred up about this that I finally ended up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, around verse 9. So if you'd look at that with me. And I... And just going to let the Word of God do the talking today. There's nothing that I could say before or after reading a scripture that would be more powerful or more important than the scripture that we've read. His Word is anointed. I want to start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and like I said, just read. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation, and so maybe we can have this on the screen for you. But I'm going to begin, what did I tell you, verse 9? Let me begin in verse (laughs) 8. Just keep backing up. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. That means we've got questions. Is there anybody in here today honest enough to say, Yeah, I got some questions. (laughs) I got some things I'd like to ask God. Sure. We're perplexed, but here's the difference between us and everybody else. We're not in despair. This is what you've got to be watchful over, that you don't let your questions, the things you don't know, drive you into despair. This is how the rest of the world lives. When there's something they don't know or can't explain, it really depresses them. Now, you and I may have questions, but it's not good to just hang out in what you don't know. When there's something that you do know, you know what you should do? Go find something that you do know. When there's something you don't understand, go back to what you do understand. And if you got to go all the way back to, well, I'm saved, then go there. Go where you're confident, and that'll keep you out of despair. Yeah, we're perplexed. we got questions. We're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, now what suffering is he talked about? These things he just listed. Pressure, being perplexed, being hunted down. Other translations say persecuted, being knocked down. This is the suffering that he's talking about. He's not talking about suffering in sickness, disease, poverty, lack, or anything that Jesus has redeemed us from through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You got to be careful when you read something about suffering in the scripture and you automatically go to something that Jesus redeemed you from. That's not suffering according to the will of God. Look at what he's talking about. He's talking about pressure. He's talking about persecution. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. His resurrection life can and should be seen in our bodies. Verse 11, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. He said we live constantly in the face of death. Now you have to remember what was going on in the world around him while he's writing this. Christians were being persecuted to the point where their lives were being taken from them. And I know we live in a different day and time, and 
perhaps where we live here in this country and even where we are in this state. We're in a, what appears to be somewhat of a conservative area, relatively speaking, to the rest of our state. And all of those things have sort of built into us a more, dare I say, relaxed position when it comes to our faith. But I want to know whatever happened to being willing to die for this. Just because we are blessed enough to live in a nation where it's legal to worship God, where it's legal to, to say the name of Jesus, and we don't live under the constant threat of death from our government just for saying that we believe in Jesus, just because we've been given some of these blessings does not mean you and I don't live with a willingness to die for this. A willingness to. Paul's saying, I live in the face of death every day. He said, but because of that, it's resulted in eternal life for you. He's saying, my willingness to, to die has resulted in your eternal life because you believe the message that he preached is what he said. He said, verse 13, we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. Other translations say what? We believe, therefore we speak. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. Verse 16, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. You're familiar with this in other translations. Our outward man is perishing. Now, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but if you didn't know that already, let me inform you. This outward man, this physical body is, as we speak, on its way out. Well, it's depressing. Deal with it because it's just the truth. The outward man is perishing. And the, the unsaved, the people that don't know the Lord and don't have heaven as their hope, that fact alone, it is depressing. When they realize this outward man is perishing and it's happening like in a hurry, when they stand in front of the mirror one day and the next day there's more wrinkles than there were the day before, there's more gray hairs than there were the day before, and they feel like it was just yesterday that they were 18 years old and the quarterback of the high school football team and sitting on top of the world. And now what happened? You got a belly that's hanging out all over the place and nowhere near the amount of hair you had. And the outward man is perishing. That's enough to absolutely depress people. And guess what? The diet industry, the exercise industry, the plastic surgery industry, is banking on you being depressed. Now, I'm not saying there's something wrong with eating good, working out. I do all that stuff. Let's take care of this thing. This is a gift from God. But even if it's getting older minute by minute, that's nothing to be depressed about. But all these industries, these multi-billion-dollar industries are banking on you and I getting so depressed and anxious over this perishing outward man that we're willing to go to any length and pay any price just to try to keep it alive just a, just a little bit longer. Hey, it's on its way out. Yeah, you should take care of it. 
Absolutely you should. Feed this thing. Work it out. Get off the couch. Absolutely. These are all good things. But what you should be rejoicing about is not just the condition of this outward thing. It's the inward man. He said the inward man is being renewed, re-strengthened, re-energized day after day after day. And he says in verse 17, our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Other translations say concerning these troubles, he says they are light and momentary. Now what trouble is he talking about? The trouble we read about, the pressure, the questions, the persecution, being knocked down. He calls all these things light and momentary. When's the last time you called your trouble light and momentary? We need to be. We need to be referring to these things that are trying to attack us instead of bowing the knee to them and worshiping them and fearing them. We ought to be calling these things light and momentary. You're going to have to develop a response to trouble. People are giving so much of their affection and their words to the trouble when really the trouble isn't worthy of any of your time and attention. You're going to have to learn to refer to trouble like this. You ready? I want you to say this after me. There you go. You can quote me on that. What are you saying? This trouble ain't even worthy of an actual word. But for you to really think that way and believe that, and for that to be reality, you're going to have to learn to compare the trouble. Big, impressive trouble, all of those things, they're relative. And it's only big because you're not comparing it to something bigger. And he said, these things are light and momentary compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So this is how we respond to trouble. We start comparing it to the glory that's on the inside of us. So to verse 18, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Chapter 5, verse 1. Remember, where are we headed? End of this chapter. Verse 1, he says, For we know that when this earthly tent, somebody put a hand somewhere on your body, your body. He's calling this thing an earthly tent. We've already established this body is, it's a gift and it should be taken care of. It should be valued, but it's not you. It's your tent. It's what you live in. We know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, <laughs> that's what dying is. Just taking the tent down. You ever been camping? You ever taken the tent down? It stinks, doesn't it? Well, so does dying sometimes, but that's all it is, is taking the tent down. We know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. Listen to what he's talking about. What is your house in heaven? It's an eternal body. 
So he's comparing these two bodies. You go back to the last chapter, he's comparing what you see with what you don't see. You have a body now that you can see, but what's coming is a body that you can't see. You can't see it right now, but it's coming. He said, we're going to have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself. Man, I hope you hear this. This is going to come up again in just a second. Made by, for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. Somebody say amen. amen. We long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothes. We're longing for it. You think... That when you're groaning in this body, you think it's because oh, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. I don't like this pain over here. I don't like what I'm dealing with. But really what you're groaning for is that heavenly body that's coming. Really what's happening is your spirit is crying out, I am so excited about that heavenly body, not made by human hands, but made by God himself. That thing will never hurt. That thing will never limp. That thing will never be too much this, not enough that. Oh, you're crying out for that heavenly body made by God. We're going to put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. The Greek says we will not be naked. We're going to be clothed. We're not going to be spirits without bodies. We're going to be a spirit with a body. And it's going to be this one glorified. Amen. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared this for us. And as a guarantee... He has given us His Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. You know what the King James says, don't you? For we live by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. Paul's just being honest. He's like, yeah, I would much rather live in that body than this one. And if you're honest, and if I'm honest, we'd say the same thing. I said it yesterday. Come, Lord Jesus. Seriously, we were in the car with the kids pulling into the garage. And I don't remember how the conversation came up. But I've told you this before. Our kids... Whenever we talk about things coming in the future, when they're older and they've got kids or they're at college or whatever, well, I'll reverse that order, after they've gone to college and then later they've got kids. <laughs> Whenever we talk about these things, one of our kids, either Justice or Jesse, will usually say, yeah, but Jesus will be back before that. And I've gotten to the place where I'm like, yes, preach it. And we do this thing in our house, I've told you before, but sometimes we'll just be in the kitchen or like yesterday in the car, I'll say, you know, Jesus is coming soon. As a matter of fact, he could come back right now. No. But we're living with an expectation of it. Why? Because we're crying out for that body, that heavenly body. He says so in verse 9, whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we've done in this earthly body. But we understand that our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. 
God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason. Other translations say to boast. I'm not sure I like this word proud here, but, but it says to, to, to boast in us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. If we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. So we believe that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Oh, I hope you hear this. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Other translations say we've stopped looking at other people after the flesh. Now this is a major discipline and not something that comes easily. To view people not after this earthly tent, after this earthly body. I know the Lord dealt with Sarah not too long ago, a year or so ago, and told her, you will minister to your church more effectively if you'll learn to see them the way I see them. And that's after the spirit and not after the flesh. So you know what she did? She went through and actually posted a message on social media that said, I love you all, but I'm out of here. Essentially, am I telling the truth? I'm, I'm getting off social media. I'm not going to be following all all these people that I know, all these people in the church, and, and gave a short explanation, here's what the Lord's dealt with me, that I'll be more effective in my ministry if I'll do everything I can to see people after the Spirit and not after the flesh. And in case you didn't know it, that's exactly what social media is. It is looking at people after the flesh. It's basically just a display of tent after tent, human flesh after human... I mean, it's, there's, there's nothing spiritual Lord dealt with her about that. And what was so interesting was we had some really take offense to it. You unfollowed me? You unfollowed me? Man, they, they really got upset about that. Totally missed the explanation. I'm doing this so that I'm more capable to love and to serve and to minister to you. You unfollowed followed me, really took offense, left over it. That's the kind of grip that looking at each other after the flesh can have on you. And Paul is saying here, by the Spirit of God and by his help and by his grace, we're not going to look at each other just after the flesh. We've stopped evaluating others from a hum human point of view. That alone will set you free. Not to mention what it'll do for the others that you look at and you see. It'll set them free. We've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ 
has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You might be more familiar with this from another translation that says what? Any man who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And he's saying, stop looking at people under the old way, under the way they used to look. Look at them as a new creation. Verse 18, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You're speaking on behalf of Jesus when you preach to the world. Come back to God. Be reconciled to God. For God, verse 21, this is where I've been trying to get. This is where I started days ago. This is where we read all of that. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. The original says to become sin itself so that we could be made right with God through Christ. What does the King James say? God, who, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become, say it with me, the righteousness of God in Christ. Everything we read from chapter 4 to the end of chapter 5 and as you'll see here in a moment, going back to Genesis itself was headed right there. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And you see in these other translations what that word righteousness means. And at the direction of the Lord, I want us to spend some time this week going into the next weeks to come talking about righteousness. Now, we're going to talk about what it means and where it comes from and, and how you become that and all that, but I just want to start with this foundation right here. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And these other translations bring out simply what that means. It means you've been made right. The word righteousness is not a word we use very often in our vernacular anymore, but it just simply means made right. You might see other translations that say right standing with God. I'll say it to you like this. Righteousness is your right to stand with God. You've been made right. I heard a comedian a couple of years ago, I think it was, talking about going into a doctor's office. Going in for a checkup and he was sitting in the office when the doctor came in. He said, hey, how you doing? What, what, what brings you in today? And this guy pointed to this little area right above his knee. And he said, doctor, you see, this, you see this small area right here? And the doctor said, yeah. And he said, this is where it doesn't hurt. <laughs> what, what's he saying? Everything else hurts. This is the only place it doesn't hurt. This is where it doesn't hurt. And I got to tell you, I think that's where most people are living life. If you say to anybody, how's it going? Be careful who you say that to. Because they may see that as an open door 
to start telling you about all the things that are wrong with them. Everything that's wrong in their bodies, everything that's wrong in the marriage, everything that's wrong in the family, everything that's wrong in the finances, everything that's wrong at work, everything that's wrong at school. And if you ask anybody anywhere to tell me, is there anything wrong with you, they could give you a list, write you a book, and they could do it without even trying. People are so aware. Have you noticed this? So aware, keenly aware of what's wrong all the time. They live with a constant awareness of what's wrong. How do you know that? Because they're constantly talking about it. This is the topic of people's conversation all over the world. Talking what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong. But here's the thing. If you are a born-again child of God, if you are a believer, then what you need to know is there's something right with you. And I mean right now. Not something that will be right with you. Not something that in heaven one day is going to be right. I'm talking to you about what's right with you right now. And we're going to have to come to the place where we can rattle off what's right with us as easily as somebody else can rattle off what's wrong with them. That's why we're starting something brand new today. I'm going to call this series, What's Right With You? Because you need to know what's right with you. And according to this scripture, there's something that's right with you. Somebody say it. There's something right with me. Say it again. There's something right with me. And when you called on the Lord Jesus and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you were saved. That's in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Just a few verses later in verse 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When the Bible says whoever, guess what it means? Whoever. Whoever. You're a whoever. I'm a whoever. And when you called on the name of the Lord, I don't care what was wrong with you. The moment you made Jesus Lord, something became right with you. You're going to have to find out what that is. That's what righteousness is. It's what's right with you right now. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.